0: You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of Joshua. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. All right, uh, if you have your Bibles, Joshua chapter 14. We're going to kind of skim through some of this stuff tonight. We are going to read chapter 14, and I want to talk about Caleb here. You remember that Joshua and Caleb were the only two spies that came back with a positive report. Remember in Numbers when when, they, when Moses sent the spies, 12 spies, one from every tribe, and 10 of them came back and said, man, there's giants in the land. There's no way we're going. We're going to get squashed like a bug. And two, Caleb and Joshua came back and said, look, the Lord's with us. We can do this. And unfortunately, the people listened to the 10, and that's what caused them to wander around in the desert for those 40 years. And so we're going to look at Caleb who is the, the other half of this dynamic duo. Joshua and Caleb that were powerful men of the Lord. Who, who were guys that trusted God. And we haven't heard a lot about Caleb but we're going to see Caleb and his faithfulness. Um, here in our text in chapter 14 it says these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. Remember, we, we've been talking about the land being portioned out to the different tribes. They're now in the land, the promised land, which has been awaited for 400 years. You guys have to kind of think about how long these people have been waiting for this. You know, have you ever had a promise that That you've been waiting for maybe for a week or a month or a year. Remember when you were a kid and how you couldn't wait for Christmas? Maybe you're still like that. I know Jill's like that. She still opens. She like looks at stuff before Christmas. She's the only adult I know that does that. (laughs) Um, Like I don't even think about Christmas anymore. You know, it's like, okay, spending my money to buy me stuff. Okay, great. You know, but I mean... Some people get super excited about it still. And you can remember as a kid, you can remember how excited you got about your birthday or about Christmas or about the vacation in the summer, you know, until you turned about 14 and then those vacations weren't so fun anymore. It was like, can I stay home, you know? But these people have been waiting for this promise for 400 years. Of course, they're not 400 years old, but they're ancestors in Previous generations have been waiting for this, and now they're there, and they're inheriting the land, and the land's being divided out by Joshua. And it says, Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half-tribe. And so there's nine and a half tribes on the west side of the Jordan, and there's two and a half tribes on the east side of the Jordan, which is a total of 12. But you remember that the Levites didn't get any land, so that's 13. How does that work? Well,, jo- not Joshua. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. and his tribe was actually divided into two because Joseph was blessed mightily and, and in fact so blessed that his tribe actually became two tribes, his, his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And, and that's how you can have 12 tribes inheriting the land and, and actually one tribe, the Levites, not getting any portion of the land is because of that. For Moses had given the inheritance of the two tribes and the half-tribe on the other side of the Jordan, the east side, But the Levites, he had given no inheritance among them. For the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim, and they gave no part to the Levites in the land, except cities to dwell in with their common lands for their livestock and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. And so now they're about to divide the land amongst the nine and a half tribes on the west side, which, you know, that. This was like the first like gang-related activity. You got the east side and the west side. And in reality, I mean, these east side guys, they really weren't trusting the Lord. They wanted to dwell over in the desert. And I mean, if you think about that, it just doesn't make sense. They, they didn't go into the promised land, but they did help them to conquer it. They did go and, and you know give their blood, sweat, and tears because they promised Moses they would do that. But then as soon as that was accomplished, they ran back to the east side. Doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's what they chose to do. Then the children of Judah came to Joshua and Gilgal. Remember, Gilgal is kind of like the headquarters where, where they've set up shop to go and to conquer the land. And Caleb, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh to spy out the land, and I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. And so Caleb is recounting what had happened 40 years previous to this. That Moses had sent him to spy out the land, and he brought back word. And this word was actually on his heart. He carried these things on his heart. He carried the people of God on his heart, and and you know whatever it is that we're doing for the Lord, whatever it is that that we're seeking to to accomplish, it, it really needs to be on our heart. And if it isn't on our heart, if if we're not heartfelt about it, if we're if our heart isn't in it, it will show. And we've all seen people that are doing things, maybe not even ministry, but. But you've, you've seen people that are doing things and their heart isn't in it. Maybe you work with people like that and their heart's not in it. And that's understandable if you're digging a ditch. I mean, I, I remember a couple summers in, in college, I the only job I could find was landscaping. And, you know, that sounds cool, like planting flowers and stuff. No, landscaping is digging ditches. That's what landscaping is. And I remember in August, when it's 105, just digging a ditch for 10 hours a day, and my heart wasn't in that. My heart wasn't in that at all. And you can kind of understand that, but man, when you're serving the Lord, when you're serving the Lord, your heart ought to be in it, what you're doing for Him. Whatever it is, your heart should be in it. And it says that He brought back word, and it was in His heart. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. And he's talking about the other ten guys. The other ten guys, they brought back a message of fear. They came back and they discouraged the people. I came back with the same news, the same information. But I brought back a positive report. And what was the difference? Because they brought back the same report. The ten spies didn't lie. It was truthful. There were giants in the land They were powerful, and it was scary. It's truth. And Caleb and Joshua had the same information, but they brought it back in a different way. They brought it back and said, Look, there are giants in the land, but we have a powerful God. See, and you can do that as well. It's amazing to me how two Christians will go through similar things but have completely different perspectives and mindsets and outlooks on that trial. And some will complain, or some will be bitter, or some will be absolutely derailed by what they're going through, where others are like, you know what? It's truthful. This, is, this, this really isn't cool. This is hard. This is difficult. This is a struggle. However, I know that God has my back. I know that God's going to bring me through this. And so it's the same situation. It's the same trials. It's the same situations. But they're looking to God rather than to their own strength. See, the ten spies said, look, we can't do this. This is impossible. And so we're going to just stay in the desert. Caleb and Joshua said, no, we can't do this, but God can. That's the absolute difference between abundant life and living in defeat is understanding the power and the victory that we have in jesus and and caleb and joshua understood this he says but i wholly followed the lord my god in verse 8 i wholly followed the lord my god caleb understood that a relationship with god is never something that you do halfway that it's never something that you just say, you know, I, I, I'm kind of saved. I, I'm, I'm half of a Christian. Or I, I'm a Christian, but you know, I'm not like fanatical about it. You, you hear people say that. Well, Caleb understood that he needed to wholly follow the Lord. That he needed to give himself completely over to God. And if you think about successful people in all walks of life, they are people that give themselves wholly to whatever it is they're doing. People will give themselves wholly over to athletics, where that's all they think about. They train, they eat, they sleep athletics. And, and there's success in that. You can be a nominal athlete, but if you give yourself wholly over to it, you can be successful. I mean, look at a guy like Larry Bird. Larry Bird is not a phenomenal athlete. Larry Bird trained his body. He trained himself to be one of the best basketball players to ever play. But there's there's guys playing in high school that have more athletic ability than Larry Bird did that never will make it beyond that because they didn't give themselves wholly to it. And the same is true in business. It's not the smartest guys that, that make it in business. It's guys that give themselves wholly over to it. And it becomes the, the consuming thing of their life. And it's true in our relationship with Jesus. And you see people who are just kind of nominal. And it shows. And it's convenient Christianity. It's when it fits into my schedule. It's when I can work other things around it. It's when it, it happens to, to be needed at the moment. It, it kind of becomes, you know, like a spare tire. But what we learn here from Caleb is that we need to wholly give ourselves over to Jesus if we want to be successful as Christians. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years. And so now he's 85 years old. Ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses... While Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, as yet I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so is my strength for war, both for going out and for coming in. Now, how many people can say that? That they are as strong at 85 as they were at 40? Or or maybe, you know, for most of us, I mean, we're not 85, so... You know, for me, am I as strong at 32 as I was at 22? Not hardly. Am I as strong at 32 as I was at 17? No. I remember as a kid, you know, like 12 years old, jumping off the roof of my house. And it didn't even hurt. Just jumping off, landing on the ground, doing rolls, you know, these cool things that we would do. I think I would just shatter (laughs) if I did that today. I think I would just blow up, you know. It would just be over. And I'm only 32 years old. So are, are we as strong at, at whatever age we are compared to 20 years ago or in, in Caleb's case, 40 years ago? I mean, that is, that is unheard of. Is he talking about physical strength? It seems that he is. But I, I think that what he's really referring to is that his strength has always been in the Lord. That when he was 40 years old and he went out To spy out the land. And he was a strong guy. And he was in the prime of his life. And and he was a military man. That he wasn't relying on that strength anyway. When he came back with a good report. It wasn't because I'm strong and I'm capable. It was because he was relying on the Lord. And now at 85 years old it's the same thing. And so no matter where you're at in life. Maybe there was a time where you could rely on your own strength. Maybe there was a time where you had sufficient funds to, to pay all of, of your bills. And, and, and you kind of relied on that. You had a good job. Or, or at that time, you, you had a lot of investments that were coming in. Or maybe when the real estate market was going well, maybe you flipped some houses and things were going good for you. And now they're not. And back at that time... You, you were kind of relying on your own strength. And now, when the well's dry, you're feeling like, well, this is impossible. I can't do this. Well, see, you've never been able to do it. Caleb was never able to do it. And he realized that. His strength was the same at 40 as it is at 85. See, your strength is the same today as it was whenever you look back and think, man, things were really good then. The problem was you, you were relying on yourself. And now that, that your strength has dried up, now you see that you really didn't have it. And, and that can be translated into all areas of life, not just finances. That's just one example. He was as strong on this particular day, 85, as he was 40 years before that. It's a great lesson for us. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there. And how the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me. And I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. And so, Caleb doesn't say, hey, give me the easy place. Give me the the piece of ground that, you know, the wimps are are inhabiting. So I can just go and mow them over. Give me the midgets. No, he says, give me the giants. You know that mountain where the Anakim are at? That's what I want. Because, man... That's what we were supposed to do 40 years ago, and we didn't do it. And I've been waiting, and I don't care if I'm 85. I'm going to do it now. And maybe God has given you something to do, and you didn't do it back when you should have. But it doesn't mean that it's too late. God can still use you. Oh, I'm too old for that now. Well, Caleb wasn't. I don't have enough financial resources to do that now. God doesn't need your money. I don't have enough time now. What, whatever your excuse is, man, learn from Caleb here that he said, give me the place where the Anakim dwell. I'm going to take it because God's with me. He's been with me the whole time. And I think about, you know, Caleb and Joshua this whole time, and I think I would be kind of bitter if I were those guys. Like, they were, they were obedient, and yet they had to suffer the same consequences as everybody else. They had to wander around in the desert just like everybody else. Now, of course, they got to enter in and nobody else from their generation got to. But they still had to wander around for 40 years. The the prime of his life is gone. All of those years, in a sense, I mean, he could think to himself, "were wasted when he could have been in the promised land. And yet he doesn't allow that to stop him. He doesn't say, you know what, I wasted my youth... In the stinking desert, those idiots back there, you know, wasted my life. Just give me a little piece of ground and I'll die here, I'll rot, you know. That isn't what he says. He says, man, give me this, give me this challenge. I want one last challenge in my life. He, he doesn't give up. He doesn't let bitterness of the things that happened to him hold him back. I love that. And Joshua blessed him and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephthah, as an inheritance. Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb the Kinezite to this day because he wholly followed the Lord. God honored his word to him. And the name of Hebron was formerly Kirjath Arba because Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. Then the land had rest from war. And Caleb, what a great example to us. And as we move into chapter 15, we begin to see now the land divided amongst these tribes. And so this was the lot of the tribe of the children of Judah according to their families. And then it goes on to talk about the portion of the land that was given to Judah. If you look at verse 13, it says, Now Caleb gave a share among the children of Judah according to the commandment, Of the Lord to Joshua. Namely Kirjath Arba. Which is Hebron. Arba was the father of Anak. And Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there. Then he went up from there to the inhabitants of Deber. And Caleb said. He who attacks Kirjath Sirpha. And takes it to him I will give Aksa my daughter as wife. So Othniel the son of Kenaz. The brother of Caleb took it. And he gave him Aksa, his daughter, as wife. Now it was so when she came to him that she persuaded him to ask her father for a field. So she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, What do you wish? She answered, Give me a blessing, since you have given me land in the south. Give me also springs of water. So he gave her the upper springs and the lower springs. couple things. First of all, we see Caleb here in his boldness. Always wanting to to challenge things, always wanting to to see what the Lord would have, he, he challenges someone to to take these giants out, and whoever can do that would would receive his daughter as a wife. And and so Caleb, in his personality, was a guy that just loved challenges. And and you know what? I don't think there's there's anything wrong with that, especially as men, we love challenges and. And we love to be challenged. And you know what? God wants to challenge us. God wants us to be uncomfortable. And if you're comfortable in your life right now, I don't think that's where God wants you to be. And, and one of my sort of philosophies of ministry with, with the people that are in leadership is to give them things that they're not prepared for. To give them things to do that are over their head. Because I want to bring people up where they should be not to you know, cater to them and coddle them where they want to be and where they're comfortable at. It's something that, that was sort of instilled in me by, by those that raised me up in ministry and, and I love to do that. I love to challenge people and, and that's what we see with Caleb and, and then we see with his daughter that his daughter demanded a blessing that she had boldness that she said to her dad give me a blessing in this characteristic of Caleb was passed on to his daughter. And and you guys, your characteristics will be passed on to your kids. The, the things that you see in your kids are, are things that they uh, have gleaned from you. And so if if you're a lazy person, don't be surprised if your kids are lazy. If you're a person that that doesn't really challenge yourself, don't be surprised if your kids don't really... Embrace challenge. If you're a person that is nominal in your walk with the Lord, man, don't expect your kids to be on fire. And, and we see that here with Caleb's daughter. Now, of course, there's exceptions to this. But, but our kids, in a lot of ways, are, are a mere image of us. And we're passing on these characteristics. And, and I think that is illustrated here in the story of Caleb and his daughter. You look at verse 63 of chapter 15, it says, Now, as for the Jebusites, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the children of Judah could not drive them out. But the Jebusites dwell with the children of Judah at Jerusalem to this day. Now, we know this isn't true, that they couldn't drive out the Jebusites. Now, of course, Jerusalem sits up on a mount, and it would be difficult to take that city, because if you know anything about You know, war and military strategy, whenever a city sits up, it's always more difficult because you can see the attack coming. But for them to say they couldn't drive them out is wrong and it's false because God said they could. It's that they didn't want to, that they were scared, that they settled for second best. And we know that Jerusalem didn't actually become a city that the Israelites took as their own until the time of David. It wouldn't be for hundreds of years until they take this city because they settled for second best. God had given them their word, his word, that they could conquer the entire land but they, they, they didn't believe him. As we move into chapter 16, we see Ephraim and West Manasseh. Remember that half of Manasseh was on the east side and so Ephraim and West Manasseh, they kind of, Combine these tribes, and, and they're going to receive sort of a piece of, of land uh, together, combined. And you look at verse 10, it says, They did not drive out the Canaanites who dwelt in Gezer, but the Canaanites dwell among the Ephraimites to this day and have become forced laborers. And so these two tribes didn't drive out this particular group of people either. They They just said, you know... We'll deal with them. It's not that big of a deal. And that isn't what God said for them to do. And isn't this funny? That they were able to make them forced laborers, but they couldn't drive them out altogether. And so that's just an excuse. If you can make someone into a slave, you can do whatever you want with them. And so again, it was just their, their own excuses. And also it was their own greediness and laziness. Because they, these people would produce money for them. And so greed crept in. They were also lazy. They didn't feel like doing it. And those two things, greediness and laziness, are probably two of our biggest enemies as Christians. Moving into chapter 17, we see the other half of, of Manasseh again. Look at verse 13. And it happened when the children of Israel grew strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor but did not utterly drive them out. And so, again, same. Same thing as, as what we saw in verse 10 of 16. They, they settled for second best. They settled for something other than what God had. And, and I would encourage you guys, don't do that in your life. Don't settle for something other than what God has for you. Don't say, well, this is working, so it must be okay. Don't take God's kindness and graciousness as that God is putting his stamp of approval on it. If God has given you his word, then that's what he wants for you. You you don't need to pray about it. You don't need to consult other people. You just need to do it. And if you're selling yourself short like they did in this instance, you'll never enter into all that God has for you. And the Israelites never did enter into all that God has had for them. They entered into such a small portion of it because of their greediness, their laziness, and because they just didn't trust God. Then the children of Joseph, verse 14, spoke to Joshua saying, Why have you given us only one lot and one share to inherit? Since we are a great people inasmuch as the Lord has blessed us until now. And so they're, they're saying to Joshua, Hey, how come we only got one piece of land for, for the half tribe of Manasseh and the entirety of Ephraim? Why did we only get one portion? Joshua answered them, If you are a great people, then go up to the forest country and clear a place for yourself there in the land of the parasites and the giants, since the mountains of Ephraim are too confined for you. In other words, hey, if you don't like what you have, there's plenty of land to go and conquer. And how many of us kind of complain about what we have and, and, and what God is doing when God is saying, look, I'm not limiting you. I, I haven't set any kind of boundary for you. I've given you the entire land to go and conquer. And so if you're such a great person, if you deserve more, if you think you can handle more, then go do it. Instead of complaining about it, we should just go and and see what the Lord would have. But the children of Joseph said, the mountain country is not enough for us. And all the Canaanites who dwell in the land of the valley have chariots of iron. Both those who are of beth Shan and its towns, and those who are of the valley of Jezreel. And so, in other words, that isn't enough for us, and we're scared, is kind of what they're saying here. And Joshua spoke to the house of Joseph, to Ephraim and Manasseh, saying, You are a great people, and have great power. You shall not have only one lot, but the mountain country shall be yours. Although it is wooded, you shall cut it down, and its farthest extent shall be yours." For you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. You're a powerful people, Joshua says to them. Go, take the forest land, cut it down, build your homes, build your cities. Hey, they have iron chariots, they're strong people, God's with you. Great lessons for us. Maybe maybe you've been thinking, man, the Lord doesn't really do much through me, or God doesn't really use me that much, and yet we're the only ones that are holding ourselves back. We're the only ones that are selling ourselves short. Chapter 18, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you. And so there's seven tribes here that haven't even bothered to go and take the land that they were given. It's like, ah, we don't care. No big deal. Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, And the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance, beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave them. Then the men rose to go away. And Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. And so there were seven tribes that hadn't even bothered to go and to take the land. And Joshua's like, what are you guys doing? What's going on? And, and he takes the initiative to help them to, to figure out what to do. And, and again, we've made this point many times, but it is the main thrust of this book is that God has already given us the entirety of the land in your life. God has already given you the victory. It's already yours. You just have to go and to claim it for yourself. And that's what I meant when I said that one of our biggest foes in our relationship with Jesus is laziness. Just saying, I don't really care. I don't care to hear from God. I don't care to open His Word and, and to have Him speak to me. I don't care to to be involved in ministry. I don't care to, to use my gifts. And see... All the excuses that we have, you guys, we have to come to grips with the fact that it really is just our way of saying, I don't care. That we need to be honest with ourselves. I'm sure they had excuses too. They, they were used to dwelling in these tents. They were used to this sort of nomadic lifestyle. They've been doing it for 40 years. Why have a permanent residence? What's the big deal? And maybe you've grown used to the way that you've always done things. And God is saying, look, I want more for you. I've got more for you. Oh, it's, what's the point? I'm old now. or I've, I've blown my opportunities. And God says, no, you haven't. I've got so much for you to do. I've, I've already given it to you. You just need to go and to walk in it. That's why I love Ephesians 2.10, that we are His workmanship. That that word is poema in the Greek. That we're his poem. He's, He's constantly adding to us and creating us in his image. And it says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That he has prepared beforehand that we might walk in them. He's already done it. He's already prepared it beforehand. You just need to walk in it. That's the principle and the lesson here. It was already accomplished. They just had to go and claim it for themselves. Are we doing that? You guys, if God's calling you to do something, His commandment, His calling is His enabling in your life. He will give you the strength and the power to do it. And maybe there's, there's things that, that you want to do. There, there's this passion in your heart, but you're scared. You're, you're thinking about all of the things that won't work. You're thinking about how that your, your schedule can't possibly fit anything more. You're thinking about the fact that, you know what, I, I don't have, uh, I'm not making enough money as it is. But I really feel like God's calling me to do more ministry. But I need to do more work. And God's saying, no, you don't need to do more work. I, I, I'm going to provide for you. I've already laid this out for you. God's calling us to make sacrifices. God's calling us to walk in to the promises that He's given to us. We just have to trust Him, you guys. And and as I started off saying tonight, as far as what God's doing in our church, I truly believe that we haven't even scratched the surface, though, of what God can do. We've seen God do amazing things, but we haven't even scratched the surface yet of what God can do. And I think it was D.L. Moody that said, God has yet to find a person, the world has yet to find a person who is totally sold out to the Lord. The world has yet to find that person who is completely and totally sold out for the Lord. And the sky is the limit for those of us who will give ourselves wholly to Him as Caleb did. And if all that you think about is the giants and and the fact that it's work and and it doesn't really make sense and, and it doesn't fit my schedule and it's not convenient. If that's all that you're thinking of, you will continue to be like these seven tribes who just don't care. And you will continue to store your treasures on the earth instead of in heaven. You'll continue to sell yourself short of what God has for you. You guys... Do we truly believe that this life is a vapor? That this life is, is just a very, very short time until we truly enter in to who we are? That we're a seed, that we've been planted in the ground. When you plant a seed in the ground, you know that that seed is not at its full potential. You don't glory in that seed. You don't tell the seed, hey, now make yourself real comfortable down there and do lots of good stuff. That seed is, is just going to be temporary. And you know what it has to do? It has to die. You don't tell it to get comfortable. You don't tell it to make a home down there. You tell that seed to die. When you plant that seed in the ground, you're telling it, I want you to die so that you can become what you truly are intended to be. And that seed has to die and has to be ripped apart And it has to shoot up through the ground. And then it can become what God intended it to be, which is whatever it is. And the same is true for you and I. Right now we're like a seed planted in the ground. And God says to us, die to yourself. Die to your flesh. Die to the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desire for other things that can choke out God's work in your life. Die to that. Do you truly believe that you're just a seed in the ground? Or do you think, really in the back of your mind, this is it. This is all that there is. This is the summation of my life. Well, of course I don't believe that. Well, we need to start acting like it then. If this is just a vapor, then we don't focus on it. We focus on what we will become. And we want to prepare ourselves for that. And we want to prepare ourselves for what we will be forever, for eternity. This is like 70 years. Sounds like a long time. But think about eternity. And we can, we can do all kinds of stuff in this life. And there's nothing wrong with the things that, that, we, that we do here on the earth. But if that is the sum total of our life, if that is the focus of our life, then we are missing it. You guys, we have got to have an eternal mindset. We have got to focus on the things of eternity. It is so easy to get focused on this life. Building homes, buying cars, setting ourselves up for retirement, adding on to our home, putting our kids through college, getting all wrapped up into the activities that our kids are involved with, giving them the impression that this is all that life has to offer, getting all wrapped up. ...in the things of this world... ...and totally missing eternity. And how, how do we do that? How, how do we leave this place... ...and not get wrapped up in the things of this world? Well, I think it's by, like Caleb... ...being wholly devoted to God. Being wholly given over to Jesus. And then everything else is, is kind of like a part-time job. Everything else is, is just a means to an end... But when those everything else's start to become the focus, and whatever it is, for all of us it's different, but when that comes in and that becomes the driving force of your life, then Jesus gets pushed out and you'll get focused on earth real quick. Such great, great principles for us here as we look at these seven tribes and how lazy they were and how that can creep into our own life. In verses 18... Or chapter 18, verses 11 through 1948. We, we see the land portioned out to the seven tribes. To Benjamin, to Judah, to Zebulun, to Issachar, to Asher, to Naphtali, to Dan. And then finally Joshua receives his inheritance at the end of chapter 19. And I love how Joshua... Was so selfless. That he. He helped everybody else. He, he was focused on everyone else. And, and their needs. And getting all of the other tribes situated. Because he had a special place. Just like Caleb did. They, they were going to receive special. Allotments. Because of their faithfulness to God. And we, we talked about that. And, and Moses had promised them. Because they were. Wholly. Devoted to the Lord. They would get a special piece of land that would be all to themselves. And, and Caleb received his. We talked about it. And now Joshua's going to receive his. But I love how he waited till the end. He was focused on them. Let's get you guys set up and, and, and let, let's measure out the land and let's get things figured out for everyone else. And then, okay, now I can rest. Now, now I can enter in. When they had made an end of dividing the land as an inheritance, verse 49, according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath, Sarah, and the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. These were the the inheritances which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel, Divided as an inheritance by Lot in Shiloh before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So they made an end of dividing the country. Joshua, as we know, is a picture of Jesus. And there's no more selfless person than Jesus. And we know that, that we're out of communion with Jesus when we begin to get selfish and self-focused. When it becomes about us. You notice how all of these other tribes were just kind of focused on themselves? Well, how come we didn't get more land and all oh, the giants? And, and it was all about them and complaining. And you know what? That happens in the church too. And, and here's the difference between, between those that, that God is, is really setting apart for his purposes and those that will remain to be completely isolated from what God has is where your focus is. If your focus is on yourself, you're going to sell yourself short. But when you place your focus on Jesus, and you make him the absolute passion of your life, where he will divert your focuses upon other people. When your focus is on Jesus, your focus will then be on others. That's a pretty simple test for you. We saw that time and again in Philippians. We see that modeled in the Apostle Paul. How he was always focused on other people. We see that in the life of Jesus. Jesus was always focused on others. Always focused on other people's needs. You didn't hear him complaining. You didn't hear him saying, well, man, it's about time I get some rest. I love the story of when John the Baptist was beheaded. And Jesus had been just ministering non-stop sharing the, the word, teaching, discipling, ministering to people, non-stop. And he told his disciples, let's get in a boat and let's go across to the other side and just take a break. Man, my cousin's dead, he got murdered, I'm burnt out, I'm tired, I'm, and I'm adding words here, just for the sake of humanity's sake. I, you know, but Jesus got tired, the Bible tells us that. And what happens? He gets to the other side, and it said, people came and they thronged him. They followed him. They saw that he got into the boat and they chased him around to the other side. And what does it say that Jesus did? Did he tell him to get out of his face? Did he say, don't you know that I'm on vacation? No, it says that he, he, his heart broke for them because he saw them as a sheep, as sheep without a shepherd. Even though he was going through all that, he, he is, his heart broke and he was willing to minister to them and spend time with them. You guys, you will know where you're at with Jesus by where your focus is. If your focus is on yourself, if it's all about you, your focus is in the wrong place. And you know that your focus is on Jesus when you're serving others, when you want to bless people, when you want to minister to people. And it's a daily thing. It's a daily refocusing upon Jesus. And, and Joshua, great example to us. Couple of great guys to model our lives after, Caleb and Joshua. So next week we'll finish Joshua, then we'll move into Judges through May and June and and then we'll launch into that that series where we answer some of your questions. So I'm excited about what God has for us in the next several months. Hope you are too. I know it's a little bit late, but I asked the worship team to uh to, to do a certain song tonight and and they practiced it and everything so Can we let him do it? All right, let's stand together. Lord, we thank you for this time in your word tonight. God, I pray that whatever it was, Lord, that that was a challenge to us, God, so much that we looked at and so many different things that, that, Lord, we might have keyed in on or that you might really be pressing on our heart. God, I pray that whatever that is, that you would really impress it, that, Lord, you would Just work it out in our life that, God, we would be doers of your word and not hearers only. God, bless these folks here tonight. God, I thank you for them. I thank you for their hearts, for you. God, continue to to challenge us and to draw us closer to you. God, we we ask that the rest of this week, Lord, we, we would just be completely and totally focused upon you. And that you, Lord, would use us to minister to others. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.